Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hello, Juliet. Hello, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm so glad we worked out a way to do this, even though we still are not together. Yeah, I don't want to sound very bourgeois. Um, (laughs) there's, There's been some really cringe bourgeois content. So I don't know if you follow Crooked Media. I don't. So Crooked Media basically own Pod Save America and all these like podcasts. And then one of the journalists wrote an article saying, oh, coronavirus is not that bad. Summary, coronavirus is not that bad. You get to work from home, drink red wine in the shower (laughs) and and, uh, do party you know what's that new app that everyone oh, has house party. party i haven't joined it yet so that's basically the summary of it you know and then um people are like what are you talking about like that is not the reality for the majority yeah, so of people, people at this time people are really struggling so i don't want to sound bourgeois you know being <laughs> like oh this has given us the opportunity to innovate with our podcast yeah i have a microphone now and i am super excited yeah so microphone no it's good I mean it it can be both right we can be aware that this is something that has serious ramifications for people we can also appreciate the good side and I will say quite honestly I had a really bad day yesterday because suddenly I was just like I just want to get my nails done Mm. I want to have a facial yeah I mean so Juliet and I are on Skype this week uh and we've set up our cameras so that we can see each other when I tell you my shellac is growing out like nobody's business. And because I'm trying not to take it off myself, I'm growing it out like some kind of witch in the woods. I was like, actually going to ask if you had a recommendation for a good solution to take them off. To be honest, usually I would just use acetone with cotton wool and then wrap my fingers in, in tin foil until it comes off, basically like they do in the nail salon. Okay. But because I don't know when I'm next going to be able to actually go to the nail salon, I don't want to take it all off myself and have those, you know, super weak, brittle nails that basically can't even... Rich white woman problems. I know. Oh, my God, it's so true. <laughs> I live with a... Do you know, and I know you, you tease me because I say this every week, but I live with a hairdresser, so I even got to have my hair done during the week. I'm going to hopefully get some lights put in at some point. But it made me really appreciate how, for want of a better word, how frivolous my life is, how many little things I do on a weekly basis just because, just to treat myself. No, that's so true. Even sort of doing my budget for the month and then looking at all of the things I'm not going to be spending money on. Mm -hmm. So not spending money on nails, not spending money on eyebrows, not spending money on the gym. And my gym was expensive. Mm-hmm. kind of not really spending money eating out eating like out. still obviously ordering at home but not spending as much money eating and drinking out mm-hmm. and so in this moment I get the chance to actually save some money which is a real privilege yeah no for sure I mean also again before we focus on the more serious ramifications I have to say I told you this as well I had a fairly invasive laser facial done before this lockdown kicked off in a serious way so it's been a great blessing that I've got to stay at home because my face has been going through several stages of healing from basically the burns I inflicted on it but obviously as you said yourself there are serious ramifications for this and we don't I don't want to be that person 
who's just like, mm, I've ran out of red wine, even though that was a concern for her. So. <laughs> <laughs> they were saying that majestic is not is not essential. That majestic wine is not essential. Did you hear about that scandal? I didn't hear that, but I don't shop with Majestic anyway. So, but I had heard that some of my friends were having difficulty. Basically, it was going to take like two weeks or something like that for oh, Majestic. Yeah. Their website is is completely uh, shut down. How wild! The demand has gone through the roof. So, when we hear about things like the demand going through the roof, same with toilet roll, same with whatever the next thing is going to be, right? Like. I never want to be that person who's stockpiling. And I think we touched on this last week. Panic is contagious. Mm. If I see someone buying six bags of rice, I find it really hard to not be like, well, I've got to get more than one because obviously people can't control themselves. Yeah, the thing is you do need more than one because (laughs) you can't go out as much. Mm. You can't have as many deliveries to your home. So it's very, very tricky to manage. But Majestic's completely down under. I had to order wine from Deliveroo. (laughs) (laughs) i did not know that was an option (laughs) yeah you can but i have some really nice places near me like that's good to know so guilty (laughs) no it's good to well the thing is though it ultimately the aim is for us to all stay at home as much as possible right so if there are bougie places nearby you that enable you to actually stay at home that's the aim you're getting to the result quicker which is that you just stay at home Yes, definitely trying to stay home. I mean, I have been going out for exercise. Mm -hmm. Have you been going out to exercise? I've been going out for it. Well, now it's only one walk a day, but that walk a day is meaning quite a lot to me. So yeah, yeah. And the weather is getting good. So I'm really like worried. It does look like people are home this weekend. But I think as it gets warmer, people are going to just go crazy and start going out again. Well, there are difficulties, right, with the interpretation, certainly from a UK perspective. I know that we've got listeners all over the world and certainly some of our listeners um, from Spain in particular, where I know we have people tune in. Obviously, there has been very little in the way of misinterpretation of the the rules that have been set out by the, the police force, basically. Um, whereas I think that there's been some ambiguity here in the UK. And as a result, people are maybe interpreting what they'd like to interpret no Boris was very ambiguous in the beginning and he was like yeah you can go out keep your distance so Boris was very ambiguous in the beginning and I think that's what confused people so that's why Mm. last weekend everybody was still out now a week later Boris has coronavirus Prince Charles has coronavirus so you know the death rate is increasing in the UK so we do need to be careful I think what has irritated me though is the clap for our carers Okay, I'm interested to hear you speak about this. So this is obviously something that's extended throughout Europe. Hasn't quite caught on in the US yet, but then I suppose they don't really care that much about their healthcare workers. We don't care about our healthcare workers. Well, that that is true, I suppose. There was a tweet that I saw, which I thought was really funny, where if you voted Tory, you're not allowed to clap for a few cares. No, but that's what I mean. So we we just recently had an election in this country. We know the direction the country is going in which is definitely more, you know, individualistic mm-hmm. rather than actually paying carers what they deserve, right? So you yeah. have doctors, underpaid nurses, carers, you know, people that actually do care work, typically taking care of old people. And then also you have some teachers that are working right now. So where mm-hmm. you have children that are at risk and can't be at home, they're still going into school. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And the so, children of those care care workers or health workers as well, right? Yeah. So all of our public services, all the police, you know, everyone that's working and putting themselves at risk. And then you have a national clap for our carers campaign. Mm. No, I it's true. Irritated because now everyone's on Instagram being like clap for our carers. What triggered me was the royal family's children. <laughs> that's what triggered me. I was like, wow. So these people on the front lines risking their life. On the news the other day, they were saying how there's not enough protective gear for the nurses mm-hmm. and doctors, and they should buy their own. Oh, wow, I didn't see right? that. So that's what's going on in hospitals right now. And then you've got the children of the royal family clapping for our carers. I was like, this is this is too much for me. I mean, there's two things going on here, because Obviously, I... Obviously, parents that put them up to it, but I just think it... Yeah, no, of course. They're PR, they're, they're PR people, but turning this into a PR exercise, for me, is very offensive. Because it I, is... Life and death. I agree. I think as well, though, I think that there's a fine line that we should be able to straddle here where they absolutely do deserve the applause, basically. But you're right in saying that the applause without revising their payments or revising their kind of salaries and giving them a better work life balance and giving them a better infrastructure to work within is it's nothing. It's paying lip service. Asking people I think to that volunteer. everyone likes recognition. Asking yeah, no, absolutely. To volunteer to put yourself at risk and volunteer what is this about no it's true help me understand I don't I don't get it and I I do think that people deserve to be recognized but I can't eat your recognition like are you gonna gonna go to work for recognition like imagine if your salary is cut in half are you going to work for recognition or are you going to work to provide for yourself and your family I feel like everybody does deserve recognition but in the context I think that it's very easy for people who have power and have a platform and have influence and all of us have a vote to make ourselves feel better by clapping for people on Instagram mm. when you are actually in a position to have a meaningful impact on these people's lives. Yeah, no, it's true. I think people love to feel a part of something. It was the same with like the girl dad hashtag or whatever. Like people love to do something that's easy, convenient, quick. Like I clap for our carers. That was just me recognizing our healthcare workers and the people that are on the front line but when it comes down to actually caring for our care workers or our healthcare workers that's when you need to vote sensibly that's when you need to lobby your mps your councillors whatever the case may be that doesn't mean don't clap i think it means do both have enough commitment to look to do both at this point do you know what i mean yeah do both sure right because i celebrate the nhs every day Mm -hmm. but i think just given the magnitude of the situation and given the fact that it's life or death and given the fact that on the news they are saying that these healthcare workers are going to have to buy their own gloves their own masks and doctors are writing their wills now like people are actually scared for their lives yeah you know I just found that very distasteful and I just didn't want any part of it and then I posted on Instagram that they can't eat our claps guys Mm -hmm. and then somebody was like yeah literally like messaged me and her whole thing was yeah people deserve to be recognized it's tough because some people then who work within the healthcare community within my circle have said that they've enjoyed it others have said the same thing as you I think ultimately for now when clapping is all we can do that's fine clap but make sure that the awareness that you have of their situation and the cheerleading that you're doing for them now not you in particular I just mean one you know, when you've been putting healthcare heroes or save the NHS or the other one that I've seen, which is like NHS, but the S is the S from the Superman. 
kind of outfit thing. (laughs) All of that stuff is great because they have been heroes up until this point. You now have a singular thing to attach them to where you're like, they're heroes, coronavirus, they're heroes. They were heroes anyway. And you, you and I have spoken about this, I think, ad nauseum on so many of the episodes when we're talking about the general election, when we're just talking in general, when I was talking about my husband's surgery a couple of months ago. Let this be the point at which you continue to remember how great healthcare workers are once you're out of self-isolation. Yeah, but, you know, once it passes, it passes. Yeah, oh, no, for sure. (laughs) And that's why I think it's such a vocation. Yeah, no, it's such a vocation. And after this, no one is going to care. Once the summer strikes, hot boy summer, (laughs) hot girl summer, all of that you know people are going to be on to the next on to the next which it's normal you know I know in the summer what I'm going to be focusing on so it's really a shame Mm. that's it really (laughs) (laughs) that being said I just do want to say you know it puts it into much sharper relief for me and I know that a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the fact that my husband as I said had a tumor removed from his mouth you know we're always aware of the NHS we're always aware of the health service wherever you live in the world you're always aware that there are people who go out to work every day and save lives whatever but when it becomes real for you is when it affects you and I do think that over the past couple of months probably since November when Charles was first I guess diagnosed for want of a better word I have really begun thinking of that in a different way even though I've always had a huge appreciation for people who work within the healthcare space it becomes much more real when you're suddenly relying on that service. And you're right that things don't last very long in the memory, but hopefully we can remind one another what this period of time was like and how important it was and how meaningful the work did. The work of all of our essential workers, actually, because I'm sure that everyone has seen this stuff on social media being repeated again and again and again, but the people who are living on minimum wage the people that you've been disparaging about, the people this Tory government have been really disparaging about, stocking supermarket shelves, working in the the food industry, all of that kind of stuff. They're the people who have kept us all going. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I just think in the age of like social media, it's easy to be performative about, oh, NHS, support the NHS at a time like this. It's very easy for people to be performative and think that Mm -hmm. that's meaningful. It's not meaningful. No one cares right Mm -hmm. and so I just hope that we can get to a point where we engage in a bit more of a serious way so we have a society that's a bit more balanced yeah just want a bit more balance I just want the doctors to have the masks and the gloves that they need is that too much to ask yeah yeah yeah. you know I just want them to not have to you know I want them to be able to take time off when they want to get married or go on holiday which apparently was something else that I was seeing during the week that that wasn't allowed either that the student nurses are now being asked to work without pay and are also being charged like nine grand a year in tuition for the privilege. So, fantastic. So it's not really a good situation. No. But we move. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I read, I wanted to discuss this article that I read in the New York Times this week. So a friend of mine shared it with me and it really did blow my mind. So the article is called The Wing, which is a private members club, women only. The Wing is a women's utopia unless you work there by Amanda Hess. And Amanda Hess absolutely killed it. I don't know if you had the chance to read this full article. 
I did. I'll let you take the lead on it. But I was familiar with the founder of The Wing, Audrey Gelman, because she had written a couple of articles on other kind of beauty blogs that I read. And I had seen bits and pieces, basically, on social media. And I think I possibly read a think piece because there had been some issues with, I think, diversity within The Wing. But in terms of speaking to the full article, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Essentially, what the article is about, the real core of it is that white feminists can be very racist. <laughs> I don't know how to... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at this, before we go further with that, for our listeners, white feminists aren't always white, if that makes sense. If you are white and you are a feminist, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a quote-unquote white feminist TM, because ultimately white feminism at its core are feminists who don't believe in intersectionality and believe that the white version of feminism that they adhere to which is one not rooted in any kind of difficulty or acknowledgement of difficulty by people of color or non-binary existing people is relevant it just means being on the same level as a man to them And ultimately, what that often means is being on the same level as white men. So before anyone listens to this and goes like, what? I'm white and I don't think that. Just be aware. Well, I think if you're white and a feminist, then you must have been exposed to a lot of this thinking. And then if you are someone who hears something like that and you're like, oh, it comes back to you. And it's like, oh, I'm not like that. Then you're a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. Because but just be aware that you can unlearn it, ultimately, is what I'm trying to say. Sorry, before we... It's not a death sentence to okay. you as a white And also, feminist. this conversation, is, it's a general discussion. It's not mm-hmm. a indictment on people's character. Like, I, I, I think the challenge is sometimes when you talk about things like this, people feel it's a reflection on them. Yeah. Right? But I think it's... Like, this is just, for me, a general discussion. Mm-hmm. Right. So... The article was basically saying how, you know, the wing, and I was actually interested in joining the wing. You know, I signed up to their newsletters when they were opening in London, like stayed on top of all of that and thought this might be interesting. I always go on the Instagram pages when I'm doing some research to see who is involved in this. And when Mm -hmm. I went onto the Instagram, I was like, oh, this actually looks pretty inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right. So from a branding perspective, their branding is like very inclusive. But in the article, they were saying that the wing, it's to be expected because if you go to most private members club, they are white spaces. Right. Just because of how much they cost. And there are a lot of barriers, I guess. So not everybody has access to those spaces. So what happened with some of the wing branches is that they're very, very white spaces. But then the people who work there, the staff that work right. there. There are women of colour that are working there. There are non-binary women that are working there. And that article is focusing on the non-white women who work at the wing Mm -hmm. and are basically being underpaid and are being told this is a great networking opportunity for you and all of that stuff, right? But then not being made to feel included in that space. Yeah, when your diversity is purely performative... It's indicative of a big problem. And I think that there are so many things to kind of unpick with what you've just said there. Ultimately, nothing can ever be discussed in a vacuum, right? But it's interesting how this comes back to, for say, the white women who are upholding that standard of not really wanting to talk about equality, but not really wanting to talk about equality, wanting to talk about their version of it. So Um, explain that to me, Phoebe. Like, I don't understand. 
Well, I think that there is a level of discomfort that white people, just as a whole, have never really had to get accustomed to, right? And I think that all of us listening can agree with that statement just objectively. We live in a white supremacist society, and that might not be that people are walking down the street wearing KKK hoods. And because people aren't doing that, you might think, well, I I certainly don't. I live in an egalitarian society. But racism and its roots are so kind of firmly interwoven into everything that we do. You know, our behaviours, our standard models are inherently white. And because of that, as I said, I think the white people, there's a level of discomfort that we are simply not used to. White women... Where is the, the discomfort coming from? My thing is the mission. So the wing is a women's private members club it's meant to be a safe space for women so there must be something in these women's mind that they're like not those women (laughs) yes and that's the thing as well isn't it we all always want to think of ourselves as the exception to the rule I think that a lot of the time within white feminism there is this mentality that there is only a certain amount of pie and so thank you you have (laughs) hit the nail on the head right when you're amongst those types of women, it's a scarcity mindset. Yeah, I was going to say scarcity mindset for sure. Right. And they feel there's only a certain amount of pie. And I want that pie for myself. Mm-hmm. And Juliet is not getting a breadcrumb of this pie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sharing some of my plate yeah. unless everyone is sharing some off their plate. And I think that there is a bit of, again, I don't know why that is because they see it as in okay, men in the organization have the power. I want to get some of that power. So it's a finite thing. They look at power as something that is very, very finite. Mm -hmm. So if the goal is I need to get power, I need to get influence, I need to get a promotion. It's not really about building and collaborating with those women. It's actually how can I leverage this platform to get noticed by these men so I can get some of their power, some of their influence. And the thing is as well that ultimately probably those men don't really want to give up their power either. But what we're looking at is a situation here where you are doing this, the women's network, for example, you are taking part in this network, in this initiative from a purely tokenistic perspective. You are thinking about this as, a, oh yeah, it, lo- it looks good that I said that I was a part of that. But if someone said to you, but what did you do when you were a part of that? It's like, I really tried to make sure that we were representing our male allies. It's like, oh, <laughs> I think that that's really um, not quite what a women's network would fundamentally be about, you know, but it again is like, yes, but I'm actually not interested in the women's network or I'm not interested in creating an environment for women within the organization or even other women within this network. I want the men to notice me and to be able to say, she's a doer. She's a doer. Perfect. Right. So in the article, and I will share this article with you guys, they actually altered the policy at one of the wing branches to allow men oh, in the space. And then I'm you had so like men, men coming in with their girlfriends and like with their wives. And that changes the whole dynamic of the space, right? It changes because then the men whole... dominate. So that changes everything. And then basically the same structure that's in the outside world, you now are mirroring that structure within what is meant to be more of a safe space for women 
It's so unnecessary. Like, I, I'm sure that we will get at least one comment being like, um, feminism is about equality. Like, it's not about misandry. Like, don't lock men out. But ultimately, the phrase old boys club exists because the world is full of old boys clubs. There yeah. are so many male only spaces. I think ultimately, part of the issue with things like the wing is however altruistic or pure of intention you may be, things need to be run as a business. And that's where you need to have the policies in place to include diversity, make things as open and as cohesive as possible for all women, non-binary types, whatever the case may be. But I do think that there is also a place for women only. And when I say women only, I don't mean to disclude people who are non-binary or sit on the spectrum where they don't have a clear kind of gender identity I feel that they should be included as well but that they should also have safe spaces where they can define the parameters of that my point is not to get into the minutiae of what women only really means but I do think that it should be okay to say this part is just not for men so that's why you have to think about what's the function of that space you have to look at people and try to understand what their mission is Mm -hmm. and if the mission is power and the model that we're using is patriarchy then that's really the only way to go like if we're not creating another model if the model is patriarchy and (laughs) white supremacy then you know we have to get men on board but the thing is as well and this is an important I feel like men can be on board right so if I look at Matt McGorry he's an actor he was in Orange is the New Black and he was in How to Get Away with Murder I don't Mm. know if you know him but he's very very epic and he's a really great example of one ally is so he's like I'm a feminist like he's really all about equality for real but one thing he says is he's not here to be the voice of the movement he's here to like understand and be an advocate and be a champion and a sponsor for women so I feel there is a space for that for I sure like men can engage in that way but I think that I do see a value in women only spaces but I feel it's a scam like when you get involved in these women only spaces I get involved and I feel like oh they don't mean women like me and I'll give Mm -hmm. you an example so I was invited to a personal finance event for women Mm -hmm. by a friend of mine she was like I can't go Jules but here's the event and I invited two friends and I invited two black friends of mine and then we go to this event and it's at WeWork space this was like a year ago or a couple of years ago And when we go to the event and then there's like a buffet, so we put our stuff down, we go to the buffet to get some food. The host gets on the microphone and is like, the food is for paying guests. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is mortifying. And I was like, what? And that was kind of like the first time that I realized what a lot of these women groups are about. Yeah. And when they do embrace black women, they embrace Serena Williams. They invite Michelle right. Obama. Those are the women that they'll embrace, but they don't look at a black woman that's not a celebrity and mm-hmm. feel like she deserves the space in their network. So what happened? Did you leave or did you stay or? No, we stayed through the event, but then I went on Twitter and I was like, this happened. And I asked everybody and the network did not respond. Like the, really? the, the host of it did not respond. One of the, I don't know if you follow Vespod, mm-hmm. the co-founder of Vespod was on the panel and she responded and she was like, whoa, this is outrageous. Like, I'm so sorry that this happened really? to you guys. Oh, that's good. And then there was another lady from the Financial Times. I think it's the editor of FT Money. 
she was at it. She didn't say anything. Wow. Right? And then so, you know, that's what it is. That's what those spaces are. I think as well, when we talk about these conversations, uh, what I was going to say when you mentioned Matt Rory earlier as well, is fundamentally a good ally does not need to be pandered to. You don't need to dilute your message or make it a little bit more like men friendly or white woman friendly because if people want to be an ally to you, they will be and they'll work with you to understand the vernacular, work with you to understand the rhetoric. And so with things like that, with the example that you've just used, sending a tweet and having people reach out and be like, you know, for example, Vespod wasn't there when it was said maybe or didn't hear it being said. No, she was there. She was on the panel. Oh, oh, no, wasn't sorry. wasn't there when this happened. Yeah, yeah, but we'll still be like, wow, like, that's outrageous. I can't believe that happened. You don't need to fluffy up your message in order to actually get legitimate reactions from people who are going to be an ally. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I personally don't have an example in my life where I grew as a person and I wasn't uncomfortable. Hmm. There is no yeah. example. Like if you say, I want to go from couch to 5K, there's a level of discomfort. Yeah, yeah. If you say, I'm going to go for this job, but I'm not sure, there's a level of discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason why women's spaces exist right now is because we understand that there's a patriarchal system, right? That means right. that women are underpaid, underrepresented in leadership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in order for us to have a meaningful impact and shift culture surely there's going to be a level of discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, we put it on social media earlier on today that this is what we were going to be talking about. And a friend of mine messaged me and she was talking about living in that kind of Eastern Asian space that, you know, you get a certain amount of pass, perhaps because you're lighter skin, but that, you know, she's been in situations where she's watched other people assimilate because they've used the quote unquote kind of white male vernacular And so you get to camouflage yourself within that group. Mm. And that's, I think, a really key word in all of this. If you are having to be inauthentic to who you actually are in order to be accepted, that camouflage does not really hold up to examination because ultimately the group that you have camouflaged yourself to be in, they're not seeing you as part of them. They know that you're doing the camouflage as well as you know that you're doing the camouflage, but they're just happy to allow it. Did you, or have you heard of Little Miss Jocelyn? No. Okay, so basically this was like, she's a comedian and this was a show on, I think it was BBC like years ago. And she did a skit, right, that was basically about being black at work. But she was pretending she wasn't black. And then when the black person would be talking to her, she'd be like really disgusted and like run away. (laughs) Because she was like hiding the fact that she was black. And it was so hilarious. And yeah, there's like two roads that you go down. You go Mm -hmm. down that road of assimilation and let me just like pretend or I don't know if they're pretending or you can decide, am I going to be myself? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it should be the easiest thing in the world to be yourself, but we all know that that is not necessarily the case, right? That's where white women come in, right? That we have to get comfortable with the discomfort of being like, well, let's just make more pie. There's not finite resources. We can be inclusive here, but we have to be willing to be inclusive because a table that we've created, which only sits other white women, is not actually that useful. It's not beneficial and it's not sustainable. Yeah, but I think it's it's a bit of a tricky one 
because I feel like you can't get into a women's club or a women's network and then decide I'm going to be inclusive, right? Mm. So for mm-hmm. example, there's this whole thing going on about reverse mentoring. Oh, I hadn't heard about this. Yeah, so reverse mentoring is typically, the main example is when an older person is mentored by a young person and that young person, let's say it's kind of like, oh, you're learning, you know, TikTok, you're learning that from like you're <laughs> a young person, right? So that's basically what reverse mentoring is. But another example of reverse mentoring is when a group of white people are mentored by someone who's not white. Okay. And Do- I heard... I don't know. I heard about this and I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute. And I was talking to my colleague and I said, wait a minute. Is someone going to mentor me to teach me how to speak to middle-aged white guys? Wow. Or am I going to go and just have a conversation with someone? Mm -hmm. How can one person mentor me about how to communicate to a whole group of people who are completely different? (sighs) And also, if you think about the labor that that person is doing working... Mm in this environment anyway and then on top of it you're like oh come and be our reverse mentor that's true although it does have iterations of rachel car cargyle or is it cargyle or cargill i've never I said her name cargill, like that. but maybe it's cargill, okay i don't know the pronunciation but she's there epic. Are, she she is epic i and saw she... her on the wing web on the wing instagram and thought oh they're legit right. if rachel's there right if you don't follow her guys you definitely should check her out she's very very interesting and super educational and basically part of what she does is she hosts seminars for white women to learn about racism basically to to really kind of summarize it 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 is but that is still a huge emotional labor movement on her part right like her profession like that's mm. what I was saying why did they go and bring someone in like Mm. Rachel Cargill who's a professional who has done the research, who's being paid for her services, rather than an employee who is bearing the burden of this stuff on a daily basis and Mm -hmm. saying, oh, come and be our reverse mentor. Yeah, and then has to remember the reactions that they received when they tried to do that for people. Absolutely. I find it, you know, and I was saying to my colleague, I was like, man, I find this like really strange. And I was like, A, why don't they go and seek professional help? If they really have no clue and they need guidance, right? Why don't they get a professional? Or why don't they just go and speak to someone? Why Mm -hmm. don't you make a friend? You know, and it was really powerful. There's an amazing video. It's Netta Porte's annual video on uh, women in television. And this time around, it was Ellen Pompeo, Gabrielle Union, Gina Rodriguez, and this other actress, Emma something. Sorry, I don't remember her surname. And they were all talking about this kind of like, you know, equal pay, intersectionality, being an ally and all of that. Mm-hmm. And Gabrielle Union said something so powerful. She said, you cannot amplify voices that you don't hear in your personal life. Right. Right. It doesn't have to be that personal. Like my cleaners from Bulgaria, she talks to us about her life. We treat her like a human being. Yes. Right. So if you're so privileged that the only people <laughs> that are different to you are in subservient positions, you can still talk to them. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because the person that I was speaking to was like, oh, they're executives. I don't think they have time to go and oh have conversations. Oh, my God, I hate 
that I rhetoric so away. much. I was so blown away by this. And I was like, wait a minute. So in your whole village, like you can't go and have a chat with someone that looks different to you. No, but you know what? Like at one of my previous positions, I made a comment to a group of my peers that our CEO had never spoken to me and that I found it really strange having worked in other places where the CEO would actually make an effort. Obviously, dependent on the size of the organization, they might not know everyone's name, but they'd be able to stop and say, how was your weekend? What are you up to? Did you have a nice Christmas? Like da 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 da, make some small talk go through the motions, even if you don't care, be able to masquerade as caring. And I made a comment about how I found it so strange that I could be standing in the lift with him and there would be nobody else in there and he wouldn't say anything. We would just stand in silence or he would go, okay. And then that would just be it. And somebody else in that group said, why would he talk to you? And I thought, my God, imagine having such a low opinion of yourself <laughs> that you think that that is a normal thing to say. Why would he speak Crazy. to you? Like, he, he's the CEO. Like, I am so sorry for your life that that is the opinion that you hold of yourself, that you think people earning X amount don't have to say hello to me in the mornings. Yeah. Excuse me? But, but I think it's one thing being like, whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to live my life. I don't care about my employees or I don't care about this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. The challenge you have with the wing and organizations like the wing that brand themselves as inclusive. Right. Of course. That is the real issue because it's a lie. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say, you know, you have to really be careful about what you're putting out there because you're attracting people and they're joining. And if the wing had never positioned themselves as we're about all women inclusivity we're going to endorse alexandra ocasio cortez we've got these fly black girls hanging out of the wing we're hiring non-binary people all this stuff that they were doing this article wouldn't have existed yeah mm-hmm. right that's it. so that's the issue so i feel like people want that capital oh for sure but it's like millennial pink right like that is the branding that you want for your organization is like look at how woke we are and now people get to pretend that they're woke without actually being woke exactly now just read a quick line from the article right so they said women represent a consumer demographic and political constituency at the wing progressive politics are recast as one more luxury item something to be worn rather than enacted programming is performative Oh, and they also went on to say how Elizabeth Warren swept the fictional Wing County and it was the only oh, election. Yeah. Oh, could... oh, my God. Yeah, and that's oh. why when Hillary Clinton was running in the last election in 2016 and it was like, oh, you have to vote for women. If you don't vote for women, you're sexist. I'm not American, obviously. I don't have the vote, but I would never vote for a Hillary Clinton just because she's a woman doesn't mean she advocates for me. If no, anything, for sure. everything she represents is just completely misaligned to what I'm about. And I feel Mm. quite similar to a lesser extent about Elizabeth Warren. When I look at her policies of all the candidates, she was not the one that resonated with me most. Mm. And Kamala Harris made the same mistake because when she started her campaign, she was trying to appeal to black people, being like, I smoked weed at university. My dad's from Jamaica. Even her dad came out being like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Her parents were like, her parents distanced themselves from her because she Mm. was trying to perform blackness to get black votes 
But then yeah. when you look at her record, right, as a prosecutor, as a, yeah. she was absolutely a pawn of the um, the prison industrial complex, right? So that's why I think identity politics can go really wrong. And we should never assume because someone is a woman, because someone is this race, that you're entitled to support from that constituency. Like if you're not going to actually advocate for them, you're not entitled to it. So I've noticed that, that people get really surprised when I'm like, oh no, I don't, su- <laughs> I don't support that. And they're like, oh, but you're a black woman. Where are you going to go? They assume, it's like the Labour Party in this country, they assume that you're going to vote for them. And that's not the case. I mean, although we've... I will always vote Labour in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's the thing. Can't, like, can't assume. It's very dangerous. You can't assume. And the problem is that there is a finite mentality, as we've already discussed. There's a scarcity mindset that people think, oh, I'm going to vote Tory because the old boys in the Tory club like will then think that I'm also wealthy. People voting for where they want to be versus where they actually are. That that same mentality is just on a grander scale in the US. I remember having a conversation with one of my cousins who worked extensively on the marriage equality referendum in Ireland and then the abortion rights campaign in Ireland as well. And things like that take a huge emotional toll on you going from house to house, Mm. certainly for the marriage equality referendum, this kind of doorstep campaigning. When my cousin was doing it, part of her pitch, for want of a better word, was my partner and I have been together for 25 years. We have a son together. We would love the opportunity to get married. Having to position yourself in such a vulnerable way and share such anecdotal evidence to change people's minds, it takes a toll. And I remember saying that to her. I remember saying that must be so exhausting. It must feel at some points that you're coming up against brick walls because people just don't want to meet you at the midway point and I understand. And she said something that has really stuck with me since and that you do sometimes have to remind yourself of, you know, the reading is available, the information is available, you can get a book, you can go online, you can listen to a podcast, you can do the reading. At some points, you have to accept that if people don't know or aren't educated, it's because they don't want to be. And that's not meant to be a sweeping statement about like, oh, people are beyond redemption. But you can only do so much. And the emotional labor that you referred to earlier, you have to know that at a certain point, it's okay to stop. Because Mm. if people aren't going to be like, by the way, you recommended Brene Brown to me. So I checked her out and I really enjoyed that. Or I checked out Audre Lorde because you said that she had a really interesting think piece about this. You are allowed to just be like, you know what? All the best. Like, I can't keep educating you like this for free. Yeah, but I think for me, because I I thought about this in a lot of detail, and I thought to myself, because my time is finite, right? So I'm like, why would I be a part of this group where I don't really feel like I belong in this group? Mm -hmm. I'm still learning a lot, actually, because it's not, you know, everyone. Like, there are some really great people in that group. But I was thinking just overall, it's not the experience I thought it would be. But I said to myself, you know what, Jules, in 20 years, in 25 years when it's your kid in that room like Mm -hmm. I want them to have a better experience than I'm having and Mm -hmm. if my kid comes to me and they're having the same experience I want to be able to share some tools with them yes because I went through it too this is what I learned this is how I overcame it and you can overcome it as well so it's a bit deeper for me yes of course right because I think about young people coming up you know, and I don't want them to feel like they can't be a part of whichever group they want to be in. And my message is, yeah, you can be in the room and you don't need to be quiet. 
Yeah, and you right? don't have to camouflage. When you're in the room and Gucci are about to put out a racist campaign, you can say to Gucci, this is not a good idea. This isn't a great look for us. I don't... <laughs> not a great look for us. You can say something. A, you can be in mm-hmm. the room, and when you're in that room, you can say something, and there are ways for you to say it, right? And you, you there know, are ways to... also to be like, when you say it and no one takes you seriously, you can say, cool, I just want to make a note of the fact that I said it. <laughs> just want because... to make a note of the fact. Yeah, so and what I... tips do you have for women to <laughs> come to a more equitable place? I don't think that there are any tips that I can give because the tips really need to come to you, you need white to give women, right? To, yeah, but give tips to your... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you meant to you and I was like, oh, I no, think that would really be inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't give me any tips, okay? Yeah. I was like, I, I'd prefer not to, to be I'm honest. experiencing a lot of this stuff firsthand. So. I think that we do just need to, you know, it sounds so trite. We need to have an openness and a readiness to have that conversation. We just need to be prepared to enter a discourse about it. We need to get rid of this scarcity mindset, this pandering to men ultimately within women's spaces or within equality spaces mm. and the dilution of the message to make it a bit more palatable is not useful, it's not constructive. And the next time you catch yourself doing it, maybe ask yourself why. Is it because, oh, I don't want to be abrasive or I don't want to make the conversation uncomfortable or insert reason here, but take a second to be like, is this for me or is it for them? Am I diluting this for the benefit of myself? Or am I diluting it so that they don't have to be uncomfortable? And also, let's make a bigger pie. I know that that is a broad statement and it can be interpreted in many different ways. But ultimately, let's stop thinking of this as like, this is my part that I gathered for myself and be prepared to share that in order to elevate everyone's success. And yeah. that's apparent in the micro. And it's a bit like we said last week, Oh, no, it was a couple of weeks ago at this point. Days are merging into one another. Micro actions have macro repercussions. Oh, for sure. And my thing is, if you don't care, if you don't actually care about gender equality, and if you're not willing to have an uncomfortable conversation... Don't go and don't, join the f***ing committee. Don't join the group. Yeah, yeah, don't join a group that brands itself in that way because you're going to come across people like me Mm-hmm. and it's not going to be fun for you <laughs> like, I, just get I, away do you think that that is so true and I've been in situations from a, a personal perspective I've been in situations or in groups where we're talking about mental health right and it's like hey like hashtag self-care like oh, talk about depression talk about anxiety and it's like would it be okay if I talked about maybe some of the more serious symptoms of my OCD and they're like oh you mean like you're super clean and it's like um no like mm, slightly slightly more difficult to live with than that and it's like mm, oh, <laughs> gross don't know if we want to really get into that and it's yeah. like you know what yeah maybe then we shouldn't be branding this as a mental health fucking exactly. group exactly. what we should really be talking about is like let's go for a run and take a picture of a cup of green tea and then caption it self-care exactly. because it's 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 a dirty conversation like it's a dirty conversation be prepared Um, to get in the trenches yeah and just thinking in terms of myself like I've just decided that I'm gonna be me and Mm -hmm. I am a professional right so I'm not gonna speak to people in a disrespectful way 
but if I hear something and I have a different perspective on it I will share that and I'm not going to beat myself up about it afterwards no you know because guaranteed the people who have had that opinion aren't beating themselves up about it oh yeah try and try not to give more energy to something than the people who are on the other side of it basically you know and when you're head up about like oh I hope I didn't come across as too aggressive tell yourself that probably almost with 100% certainty the person you had the conversation with is not thinking that they are not thinking I hope I wasn't too aggressive when I spoke to Juliet earlier so do yourself the favor of cutting yourself some slack basically yeah absolutely but yeah guys it would be great to hear your views on this and if you are a white feminist and you've had some uncomfortable conversations with people and you've had to unlearn some of the stuff that we've talked about, I would love to hear from you. It's the lockdown, guys. So, like, please, like, send us questions on Instagram at JulesDB. Yes. Yeah, and then we can take some time to, like, answer some of the questions that our listeners have. And if you're a woman of colour, like, you know, navigating the corporate workspace and you've got some tips for me, holler at your girl because i need i need them yeah i agree please please rate review and subscribe we would love it and share and share and yeah i think one thing that we're seeing a lot of at the moment is you know when with the lockdown and everything people trying to shop local and how much that means to small businesses every time you guys send us a message and you say something like i love the podcast or really enjoyed this week's episode or love listening to your voices we are over the moon I don't like I don't want to play that down in any kind of way I absolutely love it and it means so much to us so thank you so much for listening we do really appreciate it and yeah I hope everyone is safe happy and well and we will catch up with you again soon bye bye